Thank you so much, Bells. They are amazing, aren't they? And in the first service, I kind of reminded everybody we're moving into the holiday season here in a couple months and uh, love the Bells at this time of the year. Thank you so much for all of your talent. Don't we like having direction in life? Now, I know a lot of times we guys get a bad rap for that. We don't want to stop and get directions. But really, I think we'd all have to acknowledge that we really appreciate good wisdom. We like to reach out to our small group or those sounding boards in our lives. We seek advice from mom or dad later in life or from that special grandparent uh, we turn to an attorney, or we go to our doctor, or, you know, in these days, we YouTube it, don't we? Now, how many people here YouTube it? I mean, yeah, we've got some hands there. How do I put this together? How do I solve this problem? How do I address this sound in my vehicle or change this part? We like to get direction, but I'm going to tell you today, sometimes in an era like this, it's a challenge to get direction. It's kind of like the tourist over in West Virginia. Oftentimes they get this kind of guidance. The old farmer there would say, you go down past Old Smith Farm, except it's not there anymore, and turn right at the Red Barn, except it's been torn down years ago. But you know, friends, that's exactly the kind of direction that people are living on today. Just half direction, just partly correct, just a little bit here and there. And that's why we're in a sermon series right now. We're calling Grounded because everybody needs to be grounded in reality because we're living in a time of disinformation. It's hard to know the truth. It's hard to figure out what to do. It's hard to really find the guidelines out there. And I'm going to tell you, for me, I'm going to stick to what's tried and true for some 2,000 years. And I recommend highly the biblical worldview. And all of us need to ground ourselves in that, and we need to be quick doing it. We need guidance, and we need real guidance. And fortunately, God has provided us a manual to direct us. It's a set of parameters. It's wisdom. It's what we can be guided through in life, a set of instructions to lead us. Now, the Bible, as you know, is the most read book in history. Maybe the least followed, but the most read book. And not only is it the best-selling book, the most di uh, distributed book, but it's also the most translated, and we call it the Word of God. And we should rely upon it because it's grounded in reality, and it's our manual. And we're going to look at that today as we continue our series called Grounded. And Scott shared with us a scripture here that's a very, very important scripture that we find in God's Word in the New Testament in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and down in verse 16, let me share those words again. For it says this, that all scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Notice it says here that it's God-breathed. And what does that mean? Now, some Bible translations, they will use the word inspired. But we're not talking about an arousing novel here. We're not talking about something like 
how Shakespeare was inspired or Dick Francis or Tolkien or some of the other great writers that are really, it's an inspirational piece or a great composer on a piece of music. That's not what this is talking about in the original language. Right now, you're listening to the breath of Pastor Tim. My breath, because my voice is breath coming out over my vocal cords. I'm using my diaphragm, vibrating those vocal cords uh, with my breath and coming out as sound. And if I didn't have any breath today, I wouldn't have any sound. And so the breath of Pastor Tim is the word of Pastor Tim, and it's my voice. And the Bible here says God's word is God's very breath. It's not just a good idea. It's not just something you might want to think about or not some helpful recommendations or suggestions, but this is our manual, the Word of God. We know in the Old Testament in Psalm 119, it says all of God's commands can be trusted. All of the Bible can be trusted as true because it is God's very breath. It's the one thing for the Bible to claim it's the Word of God, but how can you trust it? How do you really know? How can you trust your manual? In this day in which there are so many pieces of disinformation out there, you hear this and you hear that, and this is tossed out in the culture, and this is on a message board, and somebody stated this in a blog, and all these half-truths that seem to be swirling around us in our society. How can you tell today that the Bible is the Word of God, and it's not just a bunch of fables, it's just not some folklore, some great fairy tales that somehow, as some people say, need to be demythologized. Well, Time Magazine, as you know, through the years, has thought a lot about this. And at least a couple of occasions, they posed this question on the cover of their magazine. One time, it was the question, how true is the Bible? On another occasion, just a few years ago, they had another statement there, is the Bible fact or fiction? And so this morning, I want to address that issue. I want to increase your reliance upon the Bible. Part of our time here to, to, together today uh, as a goal is to give you more confidence that you can rely on the Bible as your manual and that you need to be reading it. You need to ground yourself in it because you need to know there are incredible proofs for the Bible. There's incredible and great evidence that can help make up your mind today and you need to ground yourself there. So you're not making up your mind based on what you've heard, uh, based what somebody said in a tweet or a Facebook post, but what, what the Bible actually claims, what history, what science, what archaeology, and so many other, uh, the other disciplines are teaching today about the Bible in the academy. And I want to just address three basic reasons today that you should trust the Bible, that you need to be turning to this manual, and you need to be really seriously uh, grounding yourself in it. The first is the Bible is historically accurate. The historic reliability of the Bible is being confirmed in the academy all the time, friends, and you can trust it. The Bible just isn't true from a doctrinal point of view, theologically correct or accurate regarding morals and ethics, but it's true history. This is real people, places, and things. It's real stuff. I've stood there. I've been there in the Middle East. Psalm 33 says, the word of the Lord is right and true. And that means it's not only right and true in terms of the salvation story, but it's true history too. And you know that the Bible is historically accurate by the same way that they measure 
history today and all the antiquities, you use the test of good history to determine just the legitimacy and the reliability of the scripture. So they use things the historians do like the bibliographic test. And one way you test good history is to see if there's any eyewitness accounts. So they look at the antiquities, they look at when some of these things, Homer, Iliad, all these things are written and they begin to examine, well, are these first-hand accounts? Are these second-hand accounts? Or is this somehow a legend that was written hundreds of years later? An historian look at those kinds of things. And the Bible, as you know, as we are really affirming each and every day is primarily eyewitness accounts. These are all eyewitness accounts that we are reading. Joshua was there when the walls of Jericho fell. The disciples were there in the upper room when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. They were there in the room when they saw Jesus appear after the resurrection. John was there and they wrote it down. Peter was there and he told a guy by the name of Mark who then went and wrote it down. Luke talked to all of them, including the mother of Jesus. And he shared it and wrote it down. And so these are eyewitness accounts that point to the incredible early testimony of people who actually saw these events unfold right before their very eyes. Another test of history by which we know the Bible is accurate is the extreme care with which the Bible has been copied. This is an incredible thing. I mean, you may have heard someone say, well, I'm sure it was written, and at the time it was, it was probably right, but it's been passed down all this time, and now there's been some changes. Well, when you hear a statement like that, you know that person is uneducated, and they're very ignorant about the situation because they've not stepped in to look at this. When you look at it, you find the extreme and utter care that these people treated these documents the incredible reverence of when they came to the word Yahweh that they would stop and go into full washing before they could even write that word down. The extreme care in which the scribes and the copyists have preserved and given us this manual is shocking. They would copy it like a Xerox machine and it had that kind of accuracy. They had this long list of rules that they followed back in the day to ensure exactness and to make sure that it was always right. They had this rule that you had to copy it letter by letter and not word by word. You know, kind of like on your phone when it does that text prediction, it never gets that right for me, I'll tell you. It sends the wrong word to somebody that you didn't want it to send to. Well, they wanted to ensure that kind of thing didn't happen back in the day and so they only copied letter by letter and not word by word. And they knew how many letters it was to the middle and how many letters it was to the end and they counted to make sure that it had this kind of accuracy. And they went by these tests to ensure that it was correctly copied. And they knew how many letters of the alphabet in the Greek, the Hebrew, it was gonna be there. Another way of exactness that we could talk about would be the Dead Sea Scrolls written 100 years or so before Christ, and we have fragments of all the copies now of all the Old Testament, except for Esther, and upon examination, the long and short of it is, it's 99.6% plus accurate. And the things that are wrong is a period out of place, or a word that's been transposed, or a letter that wasn't added, but the message is entirely intact. It's so shocking. And this is coming from our academies. 
unleash the scholarship on this and you find the incredible historic reliability of the scriptures. Archaeology is another proof of the historical accuracy of the Bible. You look at archaeology and it proves repeatedly that the places and the people that the Bible talks about are really there. It's not fiction. It's not make-believe. It's not just something somebody thought up in a novel one day. But you find these places because they dig them up all the time. Arafagus, where I hope to go with some of you next year. We're going to go there where Paul was, the theater there in Athens where there was this riot. They've dug that up now. They know where it's at. They know the location. The Pool of Siloam, just a few years ago where the blind man was healed. That's been dug up. Parts of Herod's temple is standing. I stood on the teaching steps. It really is there. And these places that are talked about in the Bible have been dug up and are simply another thing that points to the historical reliability of the scripture. The book of Acts is all about a historical accuracy. Luke, the great physician and the historian, he wrote the book of Acts. He talks about 54 cities, about 39 countries, nine different islands with complete historical accuracy. And indeed, it is breathtaking. But another reason I want to say to you that it would be to your really advantage to get into the Bible is the survivability of the Bible. And that makes this Bible, your manual, the most unusual book in all the world and in all of time. The Bible, do you realize, is the most despised book of all history? It's the most derided the most denied, it's the most disputed and debated and dissected and destroyed. It's the most outlawed and banned book in all of history. And it survived all that. Just look through history and all the book burnings and all the things they've done. I mean, millions of people have died because they refused to give up their Bible. People were killed, it's been illegal. In fact, it's still illegal in some countries. Now in South Korea, that's Bible country. But if you take a Bible into North Korea, you're liable to lose your life tossed in jail. The Bible has been under attack for centuries by everything and everyone, and yet it's still the most read book in the world, the most published, the most translated, the most widely distributed, the best-selling book of all times, and it's still making a difference in the lives of people. The Bible is the greatest single source of music and of art and of architecture. I kid you not. Just study it a little bit and you'll find out. You take the Bible out of culture and you have basically eliminated most of the major understanding of music, of the art, of architecture out of the last 2,000 years. It's the source of our culture. You speak today the English language and you do because of the King James Version of the Bible which just, what was it, in 2011 celebrated the uh, 400 years of this wonderful Bible, the King James Version of the Bible had not been written, you would probably not be speaking, uh, you know, like you do today because about 400 years ago when they published the King James Version and the words you use today, many of the words that we use came out of this Bible. And the uncanny ability to survive all of the attacks it has through the years is astonishing but only points back to the incredible reliability of the Bible and why you need to be grounded in it today. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. 
And the only thing on this planet that's going to last, let's face it, is the Word of God, the very breath of God, because it's eternal. Now, Voltaire, as you know, was the very famous French philosopher, and he was a brilliant man by all accounts. He was a very, very scholarly, erudite, very scholarly man, but he was an atheist, and he didn't believe in God, but yet he was flat-out brilliant. And he was the guy that mocked the Bible quite a bit. In fact, he was the guy that was quoted uh, as saying that in 100 years from today, the Bible is going to be a forgotten book. Well, everybody's forgotten that quote, have they not? But after Voltaire died for nearly 100 years, his homestead, do you know, was used as a book repository here for the French Bible Society, and they sold Bibles out of there for years. And it's now a museum, I'm told. People have forgotten what Voltaire said and who he was, but nobody has forgotten his word, our Lord's Bible. First Peter chapter 1 says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God stands for forever. In other words, the leaves, the blossoms, they're going to wilt. They're going to fall. Today's news is worthless for tomorrow. You don't read and are not interested in last week's headlines. You don't care what the temperature was last week or the stock market. You want to know what it is today. And the Bible is offered to us fresh daily to strengthen us and to guide us. Whether you believe it or not, it's truth. You know, there's a bumper sticker out there that you see from time to time. And it says, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. But really, that ought to say, God said it, that settles it, whether I believe it or not. Because whether you believe it or not, it doesn't change it at all. I can say to you today that I don't believe in the law of gravity, and it's fine for you. And you may be a very religious person. You may embrace some of these things, but I don't need it in my life. And so I go downtown, and I get up on top of the Great American Tower, and I jump off. And I'm picking up steam, floating down, uh, flying down, and somebody about the 30th floor opens a window and said, How's it going, Tim? And I'm like, Well, so far, so good. But that's what people actually are doing today as they thumb their nose at a biblical worldview and as they go living their life, casting aside reality and these key principles that we all know guide us and keep us on the path of righteousness. I could say to you, I don't believe in this Bible, but that's not going to change a thing. God gives you the freedom to actually totally thumb your nose at it. And when you ignore what God says, you're only going to hurt yourself. But quickly, I want to say there's a third reason that you ought to find yourself being grounded in God's word, and that is the incredible transformational power of the Bible. Nothing can change a person's life like the Bible. Millions of people through the years have found the Bible so transforming to their life. I've seen people in church get their life clean and sober because of the Bible. If I thought today that we could change human behavior by enacting laws, I would become a politician tonight. But I can tell you today that I have zero faith in politics to change 
any of the greatest problems on this planet. I mean, you can make all the laws in the world you want to, but it's not going to make any kind of difference. It's not going to change hearts on the inside. You can make a law that outlaws racism or bigotry, but no law is going to turn a bigot into a lover. Only God can do that. And we find it here in the Bible. And I've invested my entire life in the heart-changing business, and I've seen it happen dozens upon dozens of times as people open up the Bible, they ground herself in reality, and they seek God, and the Holy Spirit changes their life. It changes people you wouldn't even think imaginable. The Bible says in John 8, it says, if you continue in my word, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And you know the amazing thing about that statement the truth shall make you free. It's etched in stone on so many of our secular universities. In the academy, you'll be walking down, there's a building and it's got that etch there. And it'll say something like, the truth will set you free. But they often forget that first part because the Bible says, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Friends, this is the book today that tells you that your life is not an accident. This is the book that tells you that God loves you. This is a book that tells you that you can start all over again. It's a book that tells you that you can be forgiven. It's a book that tells you that everything you've ever done wrong, if you go to God and repent of your sin, that you can start all over again. This is a book that says that whatever problem is, that God can take it and turn it around into a great triumph. This is a book in which you can find real hope, draw real strength, discover wonderful comfort. And why wouldn't you want to ground yourself in it? So I extend this invitation to you today to really start grounding yourself in God's word. It's so transformative to your heart and soul. It's so important that we do that in this day, a source of truth that we need to be grounded in. As we close our time together, I want you to join with me in the affirmation of faith that you find in the back of our hymnal. 889, if you would, to stand with me and let us uh, share this together. The bottom of the page 889. There is one God and there is one mediator, Christ Jesus, who came as a ransom for all to whom we testify. This saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed in throughout the world, taken up in glory, great indeed is the mystery of the gospel. Amen. Let's continue standing as we share in this wonderful song. It's 601, Thy Word is a Lamp.
you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you for your holy word that you have given to us. And Lord, that we just might ground ourselves in you. That we might turn to your word for guidance and comfort and wisdom and direction and strength. We pray today, God, that as we move forward into this new week and to all the opportunities that are before us, that we would be found faithful, that we continue to trust in you and read your word and be those disciples that go forth to share your gospel with the world and those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.